Just so you know, Tom, Tom's out of town this week. His father passed away. And so he went back to Tennessee to be with his family uh, this week, and he'll be back uh, next week, but you could be praying for, for them as well. Hey, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned John Christ, comedian John Christ, and, and so uh, I wanted to bring him back one more time. If you ever wonder what um, pastors think about on Monday morning, check this out. Clean up some unforced errors. That's it. I mean, I walk out on stage and my mic's not on. I mean, that's just a simple thing we talk about in staff meetings and we practice during the week and then on Sundays we can just can't perform. I mean, I don't know what you more you want me to do. I feel like I close my sermons the same way every Sunday. As I close, the worship team's gonna come out. Does the worship team come out? No. I feel like I finished strong. Honestly, I just got to get back and take a look at some of the film, get some things for my sermon corrected for next week. I mean, attendance was down, so I feel like that hurt my confidence a little bit coming out of the gate. But I mean, from a number standpoint, we did okay. It looks like we got uh, five applause breaks. We got three amens and one mm, preach. So like, I mean, from a numbers game, I feel like we're doing well. I just got to do a better job. I mean, I'll take responsibility for my sermon. It wasn't the best thing I've ever done. I had a hilarious story about my kids to start, but then Honestly, the scriptural tie-in was not great. I mean, I'm just not comfortable performing in this system. We're doing an eight-week sermon series. Honestly, it should have wrapped up at about five. We're doing this like Stranger Things spinoff called Jesus is a Life Changer Things. Yeah, grammatically, it literally doesn't even make any sense. I mean, I'm a little banged up. I got a sore throat. I'm not 100% either, but I don't, I, no excuses. I knew I needed to come out here and perform on Sunday. I mean, who else is gonna preach? The youth pastor? Absolutely not. I mean, last time I had that guy preach, he was quoting Chance the Rapper lyrics. I mean, we just can't have that. I mean, we're, we're doing a good job as a team getting plenty of people to come forward for prayer. We're just not getting salvations. We're not getting the conversions when we need to, bottom line. If anybody has any questions, uh, I'll take those now. Just slip your hand up all over this room. Yes, 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 yes. So one, one thing I want to say about John Christ, he's definitely been around church. This guy, if you, if you have looked at any of this, the stuff that he uh, does, he, he has been around uh, church. So anyway, well, so, um, hey, this is our last week together. So uh, 14 months I've been uh, doing this gig as the interim senior pastor, and we've got this new guy starting next week, Peter. So um, I, I hope you'll come support uh, this young man. He's going to need your help. And I just want to say, number one, I've, I've appreciated uh, your uh, encouragement. You've, you've been uh, very supportive of what I've been uh, trying to do as, as we've been moving forward together. And it's just been a big encouragement to me. So I thank you for that. And I want to encourage you also, uh, and I think Peter would say this very uh, same thing. Peter is not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. So if we have this inclination that uh, Peter's here and everything's all right, we'll just let him uh, take it and go. Uh, let, me, let me just say that's not the way it works. If we're building a church around Peter Anderson, we've got big problems, okay? Uh, so, and I don't believe that is what First Baptist is about, but I just want to make it clear, and I know that he would say the same thing. We're building our church on the foundation of who Jesus is and the gospel that he uh, brought uh, to the world. So that's who we are. That's who we will continue to be. And uh, we're grateful uh, to have you along for the ride. And it will uh, be a ride. We're looking forward to what God's going to do 
uh, here. So this morning we are finishing up Matthew chapter 6. And so we have talked about uh, thus far in this journey that Jesus is in the middle. uh, uh, Matthew 6 falls in the middle of this kind of open air sermon that Jesus was preaching or at least uh, he was was teaching uh, his followers and Matthew 5, 6, and 7 uh, just key truths of, of what, if you wanted to know the, the central part of what Jesus taught, you can look at Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, and you're, gonna, you're going to have the central ideas that Jesus came to teach. But we've looked, in particular, we looked at giving. And, and Jesus said, when you give, not if you give. And he, and he said that we're to, get, we're to give quietly, not obviously. He said we're to store in heaven and not store on earth. Um, our giving should be a regular part of what we do as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians uh, together. It's a practice that, that uh, Jesus said that we should be about. Prayer was our second idea there. And he reminds us uh, that we pray not to be seen and heard by other people. But it's, a, it's about seeking a deeper relationship with God, to worship, to, to uh, confess our sin to God, for, to ask God to meet the needs of our life. He provided a model for us in the Lord's Prayer of what prayer should look like and sound like earlier in Matthew 6. And then last week we talked about fasting and, that, and we said that there would be times that God would call us to something deeper. That uh, there's a, something going on in our life that we need to pursue God at a deeper level. Life circumstances, uh, sin, uh, distress, crisis, brokenness, repentance. Those things should drive us to times of fasting. And so with all of these practices, Jesus made it clear it is when, not if. It's not when, or it's not if you give. It's not if you pray. It's not if you fast. It's when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Those are are three practices that are central to who we are as we follow Christ together. So as we wrap this up, we're going to look at the last part of Matthew chapter 6. So if you'd open your Bibles to Matthew 6, we're going to start at verse 25 of Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this passage starts with the word, therefore. It says, therefore, do not worry about your life. And so it, it forces us back into the chapter to ask, 
what is Jesus responding to? And so if we look back at the verses directly in front of these that we just read, we'll be reminded that Jesus was talking about the fact that no one can serve two masters. That we'll either love one or hate the other or we will uh, be committed to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's the way he ends the phrase right before that and then says therefore. So he's talked about the fact that our lives sometimes can become divided. That we're pursuing all sorts of different things in our life. And it divides our heart, it divides our mind, it divides our thinking. And he's saying in response to that, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And so as we think about that, we need to ask ourselves a little bit about worry. And then we want to look at what Jesus encourages us to do when worry creeps into our life. So let's start with what it is. What is worry? And, and worry, stress, anxiety in our lives may look something like this. And so I'm going to, I was reading a book this week in, in preparation for uh, executive board meeting tomorrow night. And it reminded me of, a, of an illustration from my own life. And so I, I, I believe it kind of illustrates how stress and worry can creep into our life. And so some of you will identify with this, some of you will not. Most of you that identify this will be men. And most of you will think back to when you were in junior high. So if you're a junior high student, you may identify with this. So when I was in junior high, there was a hill by our house and we had skateboards. And so we decided that it would be really cool to jump on our skateboards and shoot down this hill. Many of you have done this, something similar. I will tell you, when you get on your skateboard and you start down this hill, there's this exhilaration that happens as you begin to pick up speed. It's, it's an incredible feeling as you're just, the gravity is forcing you down the hill. But there is a crucial moment. <laughs> a crucial moment, and, and you know what I'm speaking of. There's a crucial moment where you hit a particular speed that if you were to jump off the skateboard, you could continue to run along with the skateboard and save yourself. But if you stay on the skateboard any longer, you are not going to be able to keep up with the momentum that you've created. So you know. So here's, here's the way I believe this relates to our life. It's because our lives start off and everything seems great. And life is good. And maybe we're a Christian, maybe we're not. But, we're, you know, life's moving along and, and we get a job. Maybe we get married, we have kids or whatever. And it's going along pretty smoothly. But there's this point that all of a sudden in our life, we look back and we're thinking, how did I get here? How did I get to this particular point in my life where I am so out of control? Because many of you have been on that skateboard where you know, okay, I've got to jump off and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to hit two, my feet are going to hit the ground each one time, and then I'm down. Because I am not going to be able to keep up. The alternative is... I'll stay on the board and try to ride it out, and that, that doesn't end well either. So we look at our life, and we, we, can, we can step back and we say, how did I get to this point? How did my life get so out of control that I, all these things that I say are important and valuable to me all of a sudden have been pushed aside because I can barely keep pace with my life? To me, that's, I believe, how anxiety and worry impact our life. And so we get into this very stressful uh, circumstance. And let me just give a disclaimer this morning. We're going to talk a lot about anxiety and worry. And I've, I've spoken on this before. And I realize that some of you are struggling with a level of anxiety that goes beyond just maybe what is typical. 
and, and maybe you're uh, on medication or you've gotten treatment for that. And, and I, I'm not suggesting this morning that that particular uh, struggle that you're having, that you need to say, hey, I've heard this truth from Jeff uh, today that I need to throw my medication away or anything like that. I want you to take the, the truth of what Jesus is teaching us about worry and anxiety and apply it to your life as best you can, recognizing that you, you may be dealing with an extreme uh, situation in your life. So I recognize that there are those that are uh, struggling at, at even a, a more extreme level this morning. So let's look at a definition for worry. Defin the definition that I found in Webster's Dictionary says that uh, worry is to give way to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. So we've, we've allowed our mind to be consumed by certain things that uh, distract us and pull us away uh, from maybe living our life uh, the way that we would want to or, or at least in, in some kind of normalcy, whatever that would look like for us. In this particular passage, Matthew is using a Greek word. And the Greek word is, I don't expect you to remember this, but the Greek word is merimanao. That's the word he's using for worry. And he uses this this uh, word worry six times in these ten verses that we just looked at. Here's the definition. Mary Manao is to be drawn in opposite directions. Figuratively, it's the idea of, of going and being pulled to pieces. Now, when you think about worry, that's, that's what's happening to us. We have been, we've got so many things pulling at us that our life is being pulled slowly, pulled apart. And it feels like that. The word is appropriate. This idea of worry, we, get, we start thinking about all these different things and it begins to pull our life apart. And so worry and anxiety is the consequence of a, a heart and a, and a mind that's set on the things of this world and that our, that our heart is controlled by these things and it's creating this level of stress and worry and anxiety in our life. And so Jesus has just talked about the fact that our life can be divided. He says you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or hate the other. Your life's going to feel like it's getting pulled apart. And so that's what Jesus is speaking to. So I did some, a little bit of reading this week on, on what happens to our body, what worrying does to our body. When I begin to worry and it begins to take over my life, what happens? Well, basically when you worry, your body responds to this the same way that it would as if you were experiencing physical danger. So if you were experiencing physical danger, your body is wired by God in such a way that we cope with physical danger with this idea of fight or flight. We're either going to run or we're going to face this thing head on. And as a result, here's what happens in our body. Your heart rate begins to increase. Your breathing becomes heavier. You may sweat more than normal. You maybe even become more pale because the blood is rushing from your skin to your muscles to prepare for a conflict or to run or to fight. And so that creates, uh, that prepares our muscles for action. So they tense up, they're, they're, they're prepared for action. And so unconsciously, your body is preparing for this particular thing. You're either going to take it on or you're going to run from it. And I'll just say, God is brilliant that our body is designed phenomenally to, to do that very thing. That when we're in real danger, that our bodies prepare for that inevitability. The problem is that many of the things that you and I worry about cannot be dealt with by fighting or fleeing. 
Things like credit card debt, problems at work, a bad relationship, family stress, fear of the future. None of these things can we necessarily fight physically or run away from. These are things that are part of our life. So as a result, these things continue. Our body is kind of in a continual state of being ready for action. Which doesn't sound bad except these hormones like adrenaline and cortisol are flowing through our body constantly. Because we're in this constant state of anxiety and worry. And so that begins to have an effect on our internal organs. Our muscles become tense. We've got heart attacks. We've got uh, stomach issues and ulcers. We've got stroke. All these physical things can be connected directly to stress and anxiety in our lives many times. And if we're in a constant state of worry and anxiety, you can see this is in, in the long term, this is not healthy. It impacts our brains. Our brains continue to be engaged, so maybe we don't sleep very well. So we don't get restful sleep. And you can see that it becomes just a cycle, a problematic cycle that is created in our life. And so as a result, maybe I don't eat well. Maybe I eat too much. Maybe I don't eat enough. And so my diet is not healthy. I'm not getting the right nutrition to my body. And you can see that over time this becomes a problem. And you can also see why Jesus and, and Matthew, as he, as he wrote, chose the word that they did. The idea that our body's being pull, slowly pulled apart by worry. This is what happens physically to us. So the question then becomes, where does, where does worry come from? Okay, where, where does this worry come from? Because this... this Tension and this, this, these things that creep into our life uh, have long-term effect. We're, we're dealing with uh, tension headaches and we're dealing with uh, stiff uh, bodies and trouble getting out of bed, trouble sleeping. Where does it come from? Well, worry is primarily based on the, the idea of fear or uncertainty. That there are things in my life that seem very real. And, and sometimes they are. The fear of losing my job, the fear of maybe losing something that I have in my life, something that is going to be taken from me, or perhaps I'm worried about not having enough to meet the needs of my life, and so I'm struggling and stressed about trying to provide certain things uh, in my life. Or you're just, you're worried about not being able to control certain circumstances in my life. And so, bit by bit, this, this worry has begun to take over your life. So worry, the roots of it, are, are pretty much the same for everybody. But there are different types of people, right? There are some people that are pretty casual and they manage worries in their life pretty well. And there are other people that are professionals. I mean, this is what they do. And so let's identify some of these people. Maybe you're one of these, maybe you're not, but let's look at them uh, just the same. So the first type of worrier is the worst-case worrier. This person realizes that life is full of risks and important decisions, and they, they basically uh, live in a constant state of fear because they have taken every decision, every circumstance, and they played it out to its worst-case result. You know someone like this. 
I can tell by looking at some of you. You know, you may not be that person, but you know somebody. That when something's happening, they, they've already, they've played through all the way to the end. And they know what happens and it's not good. Okay, it's the worst case. Now there's past tense worriers. These people can't get beyond mistakes they've made in the past. They can't forgive themselves. They carry around a lot of guilt and shame. I should have done this. I could have done that. I wish I would have done that. And so they spend their life living in the reality that they've got this thing that happened in the past and is keeping them from moving forward. And I think a lot of these people feel like that everybody else labels me. Everyone else labels me because of this decision that I've made. They know I can't do this particular thing because this thing happened in the past. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just make a little side run here that, let me assure you, most people don't even care. <laughs> but you don't, I know you don't know that. They don't remember. They don't know. Uh, they're not labeling you that way. But I know that that's the way some of you think. You're a past tense worrier. Third type of warrior is the future warrior. This person is speculating of what might happen. This might happen. And we know this is futile. We know we can't predict the future, but this person still worries about, well, what, you know, am I going to have enough when I retire? Or what a, what's going to happen to my kids? Or we worry about the future. And so we're constantly thinking about what if this happens? What if that happens? And then there's everyday worriers. And these people are trapped in this cycle of worry, replaying the same scenarios over and over. They, they lie awake at night. They can't sleep because they've got all sorts of concerns that are flooding through their mind. And so that makes it worse, right? That they may be legitimate things they're worrying about, but the fact that they can't shake them and it becomes a constant cycle just makes it worse. And then they fall into one of the other uh, traps that I've mentioned. So that's kind of where worry comes from. And some of us have made like a full-time occupation of this kind of anxiety and worry in our life. And I believe it's this kind of circumstance that Jesus is speaking into this morning. Now, you, can, you would be quick to say, well, hey, this is 2018, and Jesus is speaking in the year 33, 34, whenever it was. It's different now. Yeah, it's different in the specifics, for sure, but I, I got to think that uh, Jesus uh, knew the people. He, he knows human beings. He knew what he was speaking about, and the truth that he speaks of was just as applicable in the first century as it is to us in 2018. So let's look at what Jesus had to say about that. And, and his, the, the first thing that, um, or one of the first things he's, he asks is, why do you worry? Why do you worry? He says, don't worry. And then he says, you know, why do you do it? I want to suggest there's really three reasons why we worry. First of all, we value the wrong things. And Jesus says in, in those uh, very verses, um, and let's look at those again. I think they're important. Matthew 6, he says, uh, 
What do, you, uh, what do you worry about what you'll eat, your drink, your body, what you will wear? Is not life more important than food and your body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. He finishes by saying, are you not much more valuable than they? Clearly, one of the reasons we worry is because we have misplaced our values. The things that we think are important or are valuable are not what God has said. So we value the wrong things, whether it's Physical things, possessions, and let's be very practical. We know Jesus is coming out of verses that are right before this where he talks about that you can't serve God and money. And so I, I got I to think that Jesus was thinking about that very statement, that often we worry about possessions, money, things. He, he lined it up with what we'll eat and drink and what we will wear but it's clear he's, he's tying his, the ideas back to what he's just talked about. He talked about storing up treasure in heaven versus storing up treasure on earth. We, we worry because we value the wrong things. The second reason we worry is I, I believe we desire power and control. We want to be in control of our circumstances and our life. And in verse 27... Jesus says, who can add one single hour to his life? Is there, by worrying or by exerting all of our power, do we really have control over how much longer I'm going to live? Or plug in any circumstance in your life. The reality is we desire more than anything control. And it's, it's the one thing. In fact, I, I, I really, I wonder if, if you went clear back to creation, Adam and Eve in the garden were given dominion over everything. Right? God gave us dominion over all that he created and said it was good. And when sin came in, and, and, and we jacked that up pretty good, Adam and Eve jacked that up pretty good, and we've continued the cause there. We continue to desire control. It's what we were created for. But the brokenness that we have in ourselves and, and the recognition that we were really given control or stewardship or, or the ability to manage what God was ultimately controlling. But we want to swap things around and we want to be in control. So we worry. Because we want to, we want to know what's not knowable. We want to control what's not controllable. We want to manage what's unmanageable. It's all about a pursuit of greater power in my life. I want to be in control. And then lastly, I think we worry because we live like the godless people around us. Now, hear what I say. I, I, I don't want to, well, maybe I do want to step on somebody's toes, but Jesus, Jesus says here, the reason you worry is because you've, you've basically kicked God out of the picture. You are living, and there's a book, I was telling Peter uh, Pollock this, this week, uh, Craig Rochelle wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. And the point of the book is uh, that he believes many Christians call themselves Christians, but they live like atheists. And I, and I believe this is what Jesus is speaking to. The reason you worry is because you've made yourself God. And you feel that you're responsible for meeting all these needs. And, and as a result... Your life's coming apart, 
and you've got nowhere to turn because you feel like you're responsible. And that's what Jesus says. He says the pagans chase after those things. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. He says that's what the, that's what the godless people chase after. I've got your back, God says. I've, I've got it taken care of. But yet we find ourselves worrying about those things. So you are living in creation, trying to manage creation like you are the creator. And you're not. God's the creator. So what can I do? Now our, our natural inclination here is that very thing. What can I do? All right, there's a problem. I'm worrying too much. What can I do about it? And I'm going to suggest that's, that's the wrong question to ask. I, I believe Jesus proposes something that we can do, but it's, it's nothing that we can really do in our own strength. So let's, let's look at this. Because he's, he spends a lot of time talking about what we're not to do. He says, don't worry. He says that a number of places. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. But he gives us three things that we should do. And the first thing he suggests is look at the birds. Now, for someone that's dealing with extreme worry and anxiety... And if they came to me and they're obviously deeply distressed and stressful in their life, and I said, you know what you need to do? You need to just go home and look at the birds. I don't think they would say, hey, Jeff, thanks for that great wisdom. But here's what I, I think this is the beauty of what Jesus is doing here. He's gone through... This Sermon on the Mount, and if you're familiar with it, I, I should say if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, you should read it. Because Jesus spends most of his time in the Sermon on the Mount reworking everything that our, our human nature would tell us. He says things in the Sermon on the Mount like, bless and pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Anger is the same as murder. Give to whoever asks from you. Everything he says is really counterintuitive to the way, to way I'm normally wired. But he's saying, hey, if you want to live your life my way, here's the way you need to do it. So he says, look at the birds. And, and the word there is to, to stare at in a sustained way. Look at the birds. Look and learn from the natural order of things. God's creation points to the fact that he is sovereign and he has the power to provide. The point is now with the birds is that we don't, we're not just supposed to sit back and wait for him to provide. The birds are going out and working to provide, but the, the, the greater point is they're not fretting. They're not worrying. They know that God is going to provide for them. Look at the birds. Look at the natural order of things. Recognize that God is sovereign. And he provides for his creation. Jesus' second idea, almost as bad as the first. Consider the lilies, he says. He goes further. Birds at least work. Flowers of the field, they do nothing. They do nothing. And this word consider, it's different than the word look it's considered, it means to learn thoroughly from. So look at, the, look at the plants of the field. Look at the flowers of the field. He says they don't sow, they don't, 
Uh, they don't reap. They don't store away. But God provides for them. And if God provides for the flowers of the field, won't, will he not provide for us? And he finishes that by saying, you of little faith. And he reminds us that our, our anxiety, the root of our anxiety is ultimately unbelief. That we don't believe that God's going to provide. And so we look at the order of creation. We consider and learn carefully from God's sovereignty and provision in the world. And we should recognize that God's going to take care of me as well. So, are there things you're worrying about this morning? Is there anxiety that's crept into your life? Are you fearful? Are there circumstances and situations that you just have an unhealthy attachment to? I would just ask you to cease from striving, cease from working so hard, and look, look around. Just stop, rest, look around, and see what God wants to do. Because finally he says, verse 33, that we're to seek his kingdom first. So now here's something I can do. I, I, I'm going to look at the birds, I'm going to consider the lilies, and I'm going to seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness so when I, when I look around and I see what other people are seeking after, and Jesus reminds us that the pagan people of this world are seeking after possessions and, and money and all the things that they think are going to ultimately satisfy, and it's a dead end, Jesus says, if you, if you really want to know real peace, seek after my kingdom. And here's the best definition that I could find of seeking God's kingdom. I thought it was great. It says this. Seeking God's kingdom means that at every point in my life, I will view things in light of what it will do to expand the kingdom of God and reflect his perfect righteousness. The preoccupation of my mind are the things of God and not my own kingdom or pleasure. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness means that the most important issue in every decision I make and in everything I do is determining God's perspective. I ask myself, what is most pleasing to God? What will best further his kingdom? What will best reflect his righteousness? The answer to those questions then determines my actions. If I'm seeking God's kingdom first, those are the things that I want to ask. So in the end... There are, two, there are two ways to look at this. I'm going to approach it in a self-centered way or it's going to be a God-centered way. There's really no alternative. There's not really a third way. There's not a way to say, well, you know what, I'll, I'll dabble back and forth. Jesus made it clear, you cannot serve two masters. And Jesus promised that our needs will be met as we pursue him first. And that the rest of those things, those things that we worry so much about, will be taken care of ultimately by him. We can't serve two masters. He knows our tendency. He knows our tendency to forecast tragedy and to worry about things we can't control. And he calls us just to a, a radical rest in him in recognition 
that he's ultimately in control and is ready to meet our needs. And so that's a challenge. When we, when we look at what we're facing in front of us, maybe even this afternoon or this week, but I want to encourage you that God calls us to a different way of thinking, and I would encourage you to embrace that kind of thinking in your own life and see what God does. Let me pray for us. God, we are, we are thankful. We, we want to be people. We recognize, first of all, God, that we, uh, our own tendency to worry about things that we can't control, that we try to be our own God and displace you often uh, from from your rightful place in our life. And so we, we confess, God, that we need to set those things aside and pursue you first and foremost and think about what pleases you and, and what you want us to do and how you want us to live. And so help us to be that, uh, that type of people, that type of person, that type of church that we're seeking you first in everything that we do. So God, uh, we pray that you meet us in the midst of that pursuit. We need your help. We can't do it in our own strength. We need you to come alongside and walk with us through it. Help us to be people that seek you first, your righteousness first, your kingdom first, and you will supply the rest of that in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're going to, we're going to sing about the happy day that we sung about earlier. This is a happy day. Even in the midst of anxiety, worry, stress, we're happy because we have a Savior that knows where we're coming from. Amen? amen. Let's celebrate together.